Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. See everybody, uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I've been out, Karen and I have been out and Skip and Lisa for uh couple of, well, I was out for a couple of Sundays. Uh, We were at our national conference out in Denver, Colorado. Uh, As one of my friends that lives out there says, it's Colorado, Tim, not Colorado. I'm like, okay, Colorado. And I have to tell you, man, the vineyard churches, the movement is alive and well. We had two conferences this year. We split them, one in Dayton, one in Denver. And uh, the one we were at had about 2,500 folks at it, pastors, and the other one had about 2,000 in it. And uh, what was really exciting was it looked like an equal blend between the younger generations and older generations. And uh, so uh, we heard uh, some wonderful reports. We're in some wonderful gatherings. And um, I heard that there were 15 million people involved in the vineyard movement worldwide. And now uh, we've, we have uh, more churches overseas in countries than we do in America, maybe 2,500 or so overseas, about 600 here. And, uh, and so uh, it, it was a great time. It's a good time to get away. And, uh, and I also want to say I appreciate uh, Doug Dorman and, and Lauren uh, preaching while we were out. And thank you so much. You guys did a great job. And while we were out last week, Karen and I had an anniversary. Um, we, 48 years, we celebrated. Yeah, thank you. It's funny, looking back, thinking, going from teenagers to grandparents. It's, it's been quite a journey, uh, you know, a beautiful journey. And, uh, but, you know, like anybody who, who lives uh, a little bit of time, you look back on your life and you have these amazing moments where you go, that, that was just the best of times, Right. That was the most wonderful time of our lives. But then if you hang around long enough, <laughs> eventually you have these times that come along and you go, hey, that wasn't that much fun. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. Can we get back to the other? You know, can we just get back? And all during this summer, we have been, I've been trying to have an emphasis uh, on emotional health. And that is that uh, how we how we handle ourselves emotionally and what God has to say about uh, our emotional health because it's very difficult to be spiritually healthy if we're not emotionally healthy. And, and so we've been taking a look at some scripture and passages and, and today we're starting kind of a mini series, a new mini series uh, on this and talking about grieving, about hitting those moments in life where uh, they are not those best of times and uh, how do we get through them what does the scripture have to say uh, you know I love this this book it's, if, unless you read it you don't realize that this is a very real book with real people and real situations there is high drama in this book there is an yes there are amazing stories of God's presence and power and the things that he's done but there are also moments in this book where people go through very tough times very difficult times and uh, so this isn't like some like oh, I don't know the bible is like that you know no there, there are situations in here where we can learn 
from how God helped people walk through these situations how he sustained them what was he doing in their lives because the folks in this in this book really aren't that much different than we are and that is we're human beings fraught with all the foibles that we have as being human beings but also dearly loved by God and given his presence in our life and and at the same time we walk through seasons of life and situations where we go, boy, that's just not fun. And I'll bet you there's some folks in here today who are walking through a time like that right now. I know there are. I don't mean, I don't know who you are, but I know in a group this size, there are some people in here who are going through a, a spell in life that you wish that you could just get on beyond it. And so we're going to take a look at a guy named Elijah today over in 1 Kings. And I'm going to be kind of doing a paraphrase of the story. I'll be mentioning some verses, but we'll be in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And that area, if you want to open up your app or your Bible and take a look. Um, Karen and I are celebrating uh, wonderful 48 years of uh, being together. Also, you know, it's we've seen some amazing things in our life. Um, we... I mean, I'm thinking back just 25, 30 years ago, we were in situations where we saw, I mean, I saw 150 people in the church meetings that we were involved in. One week, I saw 150 people come to Christ. I saw 120 teenagers come to Christ in a house right down the street here one night. And uh, I've seen things like that. I've seen people healed. Uh, I tell you, in one meeting, we had this guy, you've heard me mention him before, but a guy from Australia who was speaking at our church. It was a Saturday morning. We were doing small group training for our small group leaders uh, on how to operate and let the Holy Spirit work in small groups and all. And this guy, there were only maybe 20 of us in this meeting, 25 of us in this meeting. All of a sudden, this guy comes walking into the church building. He's drunk. I mean, he's out of his mind. And he comes in the doors and he starts down the left aisle like here. And he's like, I need some help. Where's somebody help me like this? And I'm thinking, you know, uh, I've got to take care of this you know, for our guests. So I get up to go talk to him. And before I could get up, our guest speaker, this guy from Australia, suddenly he is up and he's running down the aisle toward him. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? You know, and this guy comes up to the, to the guy who's drunk and goes, in the name of Jesus, boom, hits him like that in the head. The guy drops to the floor. And I'm thinking, oh man, what the heck? You know, what, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen, you know? And, and, uh, and then he's, he's like, sober up, brother. Sober up. In the name of Jesus, sober up. It's a terrible copy but um and and you know what I sit there and I'm on my knees by this guy the guy sobers up in the moment sobers all up just immediately comes to his senses raises up and he grabs Clark's hand and he goes what was in your hand what's in your hand what do you have in your hand and Clark goes that's the Holy Spirit mate <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> and he gets him up on his feet he is sober minded just I'm like I'm getting chills now even thinking about it he gets him up Clark leads him to Christ tells him about Jesus prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit the guy's filled with the Holy Spirit he speaks in tongues then we ask him what his need is he says I want to get home to Texas I want to get back to my to my home we took him to the bus station we bought a ticket for him put him on 
This all happened within an hour and a half. And I'm still like, what in the world? You know, I mean, we've seen, we saw, I mean, like I said, people who are in glorious worship meetings. We've seen all kinds of things. And then rolls around 95, 96, the year 1996. And the bottom falls out. After we've seen so much, we've experienced so much, and suddenly we experience the loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of dreams, loss of income, and loss of life in our family. Just within a matter of three months, all of this happens. And you know, you can, when something like this happens, you can, you can just be reeling like this. You, know, you ever taken one of these stress tests? Ever gone on? Some of you are going to do this now that I mentioned it. You're going to go online and take it. But I took this stress test during that period of time. I think it's like a hundred questions. And when I got to the bottom of it, it said, "Go to your nearest hospital." <laughs> I was like, oh, "No." Uh, <laughs> you know, you just kind of keep pressing through. But isn't it amazing? that you can go through such highs in your life and such wonderful moments and, and then suddenly something can happen in your life and it changes. And it, it does something to you. It, it can mess with you. It can mess with your, uh, you know, your assessment of God. Because some of us sometimes, when things are going really well, we think, man, we're God's favorite. You know, it's like, God really likes me. And... And then when things aren't going so great, we're like, this is the way you treat your friends, Lord? <laughs> you know. And so then we start struggling through, who is this God? And how does he deal with people? And who am I? And, and how, how am I going to process this? You know, the church has not been uh, really healthy in how it has dealt with struggles like this with people. We haven't done well in the local church with talking about depression, talking about grieving, uh, talking about loss and mental illness and things like that. We haven't really done well. We, and, and I mean the, the church in general, we, don't, uh, we tend to not want to get into those messy zones. And I think probably that's been really, that's, that's not been good. That's not been healthy for us. And so it's been my prayer that through this, these series and through this period of time that we would take a look. Uh, I read this report and said, in fact, a Barna, a Barna study reveals that, get this, nearly one-fifth of young adults leave church because their faith, quote, does not help with depression or other emotional problems. 20% of our young people, they come to church, they're like, Jesus, you know, I want to get to know Jesus. And then when you hit a hard time, Nobody wants to help. Nobody wants to help explain how, what does God think of these times? How does he help? And so they end up leaving the church. End up, uh, you know, going somewhere else. And we haven't done well because we kind of send this message. Don't feel and don't talk. You know, don't talk about it and don't feel it. Uh, if you're having something negative, don't feel it. Have you ever had somebody tell you don't feel something? <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I mean, you've already felt it, right? I mean, it's there. What are you going to do? Like, oh, gosh, I've already had it. It's like, don't think that. What? It's like, don't think about the elephant in the room. Now everybody sees an elephant right there. You know, you've, you've got it. And the Bible does not minimize these times. The Bible is not some book that is so distant and far away from everyday life for us. 
that it doesn't give us some help and doesn't lead us in the proper direction to try to understand how God does intercede in our lives and how he does make provision for us in those very tough times. So we're going to look at Elijah today. Next week I'm going to look at another uh, Bible hero and how they processed uh, their struggles and times and how God walked with them. And in two weeks, my friend Dr. Roy King, it, uh, Roy, uh, I'm in a small group with Roy. Roy was a seminary professor at CIU for decades and, and is a very dear friend. He has taught on grief and uh, he ministers to pastors in this country and in Egypt. And he's going to be sharing with us in two weeks. And so it's my prayer that we're going to get some help uh, over the next three weeks in dealing with our grief and how to process through it. So let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for your faithfulness in our lives in every way. Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. You're the one that Jesus... You're the one that Jesus spoke about and promised in John 14, 15, 16, saying that it's so important that he would go back to be with the Father so you, Holy Spirit, could come and be with us. And we know it's you, your presence, Holy Spirit, that moves in our lives and does such a great work in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. I ask for you to breathe life on your word and that you would indeed come and fill this place and fill our hearts and encourage us, heal us, comfort us, Lord, in the way that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's take a look at this. You've got to fill in in your handout on the backs. Flip it over, and uh, there'll be five fill-ins today. First, let me set this up by talking about Elijah. Elijah and the 17th chapter of 1 Kings and the first verse. We really don't know a whole lot about him. Elijah, it says, was a Tishbite. Tishbite means a settler. It means that Elijah was basically an immigrant. Elijah came from outside and he migrated into this area where Israel was. And God put his hand on this immigrant, on this migrant, and decided to use him as a prophet to the people of Israel and to this time. And we don't know much of anything about prior to this moment. But that God chose him to be a prophet. And he's one of the major prophets. Uh, maybe you remember. I talk about Peter in the New Testament a lot. And how he always was putting his foot in his mouth. Do you remember in, uh, in Luke. In Luke 9, on what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, and Peter and James and John are there, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah all of a sudden are there. And I love this passing phrase in Luke because I'm like, give me more, but it says they were talking to Jesus about his departure, they were having a discussion about Jesus and soon going to the cross. And then going back to the father. And I'm thinking, well, I know how Moses died. We know that story. Do you remember how Elijah finally passes from the scene? That's pretty awesome. You're going to have to read it to find out about it. It's worth reading. But I'm thinking Elijah talking to Jesus. Yeah, I got in this fiery chariot, you know, and kind of zoomed off. And, and uh, so they're having this. And Peter goes, hey, this is cool. Let's build three tents, you know, and hang out. And, <laughs> And so this is the same Elijah that we find here. Around you know, This is in the 9th century B.C. Um, there's a king named Ahab in this story. Ahab, it tells us, is probably the most wicked king Israel ever had. 
He's evil. He's wicked. He has led Israel away from God. And even to add to that, he married this pagan girl named Jezebel. Now, if you don't know this story, you've heard the name Jezebel before. Maybe you didn't know where the name came from. It came from the Bible. It's in the Bible. That's where that term usually is used derogatorily, right? Jezebel. She was the daughter of a Baal, which is a false god, a dad who was like a leader, a priest in the Baal prophets and the Baal religion. And so she took her religion, Baal and Ashtarte, and brought those religions into Israel's, uh, into Ahab's life. And now she was killing off the prophets of God, Jezebel was. She was trying to wipe it out, trying to wipe out the Jewish faith, actually, and, and all the leaders. And into that, God sends Elijah to speak to Ahab, Israelite's king. And uh, the symbol of the Baal God is, is this deity standing on top of a bull, like powerful, right? And in one hand has, uh, you know, has a lightning bolt, and in the other a sprig like a plant, and it's like lightning and thunder together. And it's basically saying that Baal was in control of all the seasons and in control of uh, when the crops would come in and in fertility and all of that, that, that the Baal God was in charge of that. Well, what does God do? He's like, I'm going to show you who's in charge. So he sends Elijah with a word like, there's going to be a drought. Maybe three years, there's going to be a drought. In other words, I'll show you Baal does not control the rain, the thunder. Because it's not you got to have any of it for a while. None of it for a while. And so he gives this prophecy to Ahab. Like it's not going to happen until I, until I say it'll happen. No rain. And I just want to set this up by saying that look at, look at Elijah's life. And maybe you'll see some of yourself in this, how there are setups to your times of grief and your times of struggle. Uh, the first thing is, he had a tough assignment. I mean, Elijah had a tough assignment, giving these words to someone who did not want to hear them. Have you ever been, ever had to take on an assignment you didn't want to take on? Have you ever had to confront someone and you, would, you were like, man, I'd rather talk to anybody than talk to this person. I mean, suddenly you have a tough assignment. And that sets up stress immediately. We're already like on edge. Our adrenaline is pumping. Serotonin levels, you know, we're like, okay, I'm getting ready for this. I've got to go and deal with this. Your heart rate is, is picked up. Maybe you've rehearsed time and time again how you're going to say it. How you're going to confront. So he has a tough assignment. And remember, Elijah is already an outsider. And now he's being used by God to speak to this king of Israel. And look at Elijah's, secondly, his life. He was dependent upon others constantly. All the time, it seemed like. It was like he, I think some of us think we're self-made people, just not true. I mean, all of us are dependent on others. Just when you leave from here, leave your wallet, water, and everything, and just go out in the woods and stay. For a while. And you'll find out all of us are dependent on others. But Elijah was dependent 
like every moment of every day on God and on the kindness and the graciousness of people that God had spoken to. That, had, that adds its stress. Some of you think, oh, how cool just to be dependent on God all the time. To not have anything in savings. To not have a job. And just wait on God. To, to, that's where Elijah was. That's, that's added stress. I mean, God, after he gives this word, God sends him down to this place where two streams, two streams came together because there was some water there. And he's like, Elijah, I want you to go there. Pull away from everybody. Go there because there's water. And the birds have to feed Elijah. I mean, the ravens came down and brought food to, you know, to Elijah. Bird food. So, I mean, he's dependent every day. Imagine that. You're, you're dependent on like, I hope the birds come today. You know, I hope they come. And eventually the water dries up because there's no rain. And so God tells Elijah, I want you to go to this village over here. And there's going to be a widow there. And I have, and I love the term, directed her to take care of you. Well, when he gets there, I don't, it doesn't look like he's directed her. <laughs> he actually almost has, has to kind of convince her that uh, he needs her help. And, and you'll have to read the story. But being dependent on other people constantly for your needs is stressful. Some of you know what I'm talking about because... Every week you get that paycheck and you're like, I just hope I have enough to, to make that payment, you know, that I can pay my rent, that I can get groceries. It's like each week, each week. And then something happens and enters your life and drama and trauma comes to your life. And, and it, it's just very stressful. And the chemicals in your body kind of go whack and, and you start having thoughts. You start getting worried. This is Elijah. Elijah. You know, James 5, 17 in the New Testament, it says that Elijah was a human being just as we are. He was fraught with all of the things that we're fraught with and tempted by. And, and when he went through something, he responded the same way. And so a tough assignment dependent upon others. And look, he feels alone. In 1 Kings 18, 16 through 23, three times he says, I am the only one. <laughs> you ever felt like that? I'm the only one that's going through this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know? Nobody. Nobody's been here before. And Elijah, the great man of God, who will have seen amazing things with God. This is the way he feels. I'm all alone. Nobody, nobody gets it. Nobody gets what I'm going through. Three times he says this. Three times. The stress is just adding up on Elijah. and He's physically exhausted. I mean, he has worked hard. In 1 Kings 18, 30 through 33, you see... Uh, Elijah having to build the altars back himself. It says he repaired the altar. Elijah had to get down. See, there's going to be a challenge between the Baal prophets and God Almighty. And Elijah is the prophet, the intermediary in this whole conflict. And so as he calls this confrontation into being, 
He has to build the altar. He has to pile up the rocks. The 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He digs the ditches. He fills the ditches full of water. Piles up the wood for the offering. Puts the sacrifice on the altar. He's working. He's physically exhausted. Not only that. When he gives the word to Ahab. About when the rain finally does come. Ahab takes off in his chariot. What does Elijah do? He runs. And he outruns Ahab. It's a 20 mile run. I mean he had to be just shot. Elijah had to be. You know what it's like to work so hard. And work and work and work. And your body is screaming at you. I can't take anymore. He was spiritually exhausted. I mean, he's spiritually exhausted as he takes on the Baal prophets and he's praying to God and he's calling on God to bring down the fire. I mean, that he's in a spiritual battle. So he's physically exhausted, spiritually exhausted, and uh, he's emotionally exhausted as well. Because when he gets the word that Jezebel says that she's going to kill him before the day's out, he takes off. He's had it. He's done. His emotions snap. He can't, he can't stay in the fight any longer. He's done. I bet you can find yourself in that list somewhere along the way. Somewhere in there. And so, how does God help Elijah? This is your fill-in. The first thing is notice in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. Elijah says to God, I've had it. <laughs> I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Like, if you thought I was a super prophet, God, if you thought you got someone who can just do anything and everything, I am no better than those that went before me. I am just a human being. And your first thing is, it starts with us being honest. Honesty. When you hit that spot... It starts with being honest. You know, God can handle your honesty. He can handle you telling him, I'm done. He can handle you telling him that. Saying that to him. It's, uh, I love the honesty between Elijah and God. Because God does not interrupt his confession. God doesn't try to talk him into, Oh, you've got another round with the Baal prophets in you there, Elijah. Nope. He listens. I told the first service, I said, you can't surprise God with any of the great vocabulary you have when you complain to him. God loves your honesty. He knows you. You're not going to shock him. But what he does appreciate is you telling him exactly the way you feel. Tell him honestly. That's where it all begins. Because when we don't talk. And we try to not feel. We just go back around the mountain again. And it gets worse. Elijah had finally hit his limit. And every single one of us have a limit. And God knows it. God knew it with Elijah. And God sat there and listened to him. It's funny isn't it. Uh, if somebody asks you how you're doing, what do most of us say? I'm good. I'm good. Now, don't get me 
Every time somebody asks you how you're doing, you don't have to unpack your whole entire life. You, know, you have to decide, do they, how do they mean, how are you doing, right? Like, is it a friend? Is it someone who cares about you and has noticed some things in your life? And it's one of those people that, you know, they ask you. And uh, at this conference that we were in, uh, Steve Nicholson, who's longtime vineyard guy and traveled the world, said he'd prayed for over 30,000 people to be healed. Um, Steve was telling us, he said, I know if I go in your vineyard churches, there are going to be boxes of tissue everywhere. Somebody move that one. But we've got them around here. We've got them around here because we are crying church. We can cry in happiness. We can cry in our pain. We can cry when we... We're not going well. We can cry when we're happy. It's good. It's a good thing. But Steve said, listen, when you're ministering to somebody and they're hurt and you're praying with them, don't give them a tissue. Uh, it shocked me for a minute. He says, you know what happens? It stops things. It's a stop. We're uncomfortable when people are emoting. And they're uncomfortable. And so a tissue in that moment says, Get control of yourself, man. <laughs> Here, right? I never thought about that. I mean, it was first time he says, let the person go. Let them, let, let the Lord, let it go. Let it out. Don't be embarrassed by it. Let the snot flow. <laughs> no, just let the phlegm go. You know, let the person. But you know, Santa's little helpers, we're always wanting, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Instead of being with the person. I read this psychology today. Even they see this, right? Honesty is a way of life. Not just a behavior. Keeping it paramount in your relationship will bring in more good and keep the bad stuff at bay. Knowing you can totally trust one another brings a type of freedom and comfort that helps your relationship work in the best way possible. Is that not true in our relationships with one another? Don't you like honesty? Don't you want to live with someone who's honest with you? And you know, honest? And God, God desires the same thing. Our relationship with God should be an honest one. So starts with honesty. Second, look what God does. First Kings 19, 5 through 9. He, he said, I've had enough. Kill me, God. I can't take it. And he takes off. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's going to take off. There he goes. He takes off and he runs as far as he can till he can't go anymore. God has a big tree, a brush tree. It's a broom tree. Beautiful tree that's huge. It looks almost like a giant umbrella. You know, and he has one of those for Elijah. Elijah climbs up under that beautiful shade and he lays down to rest. Your second thing that, that God kind of shows us in, when we're dealing with our grief is we need some rest. We need some rest. It's okay to rest. God supplies a place for Elijah. And then, then he's falling asleep. And I love this. And, and the angel, an angel shows up and taps Elijah. And he wakes him up and he goes, wait, wait, before you go to sleep, you need something to eat. You need rest and you need food. Because when you're in stress and you're going, 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 we're usually doing one of two things, either overeating or undereating, one of the two. And we're just trying to make it through it. And so, you know, we're tired, we're worn out. And I love this picture of these 
warm stones, these heated stones that the angel supplied, that God supplied, and there's bread baking on it. Can you smell it right now? Don't you love baking bread? You're getting hungry. You'll be out in a minute. <laughs> I mean, you're tired. You're worn out. You want to go to sleep. And God goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to let you rest. I want you to rest, but I want you to have a good meal. Have a good meal first. And so there's the bread baking in a fresh pot of water. And the angel wakes Elijah up and he has a great meal. And he has a good drink of fresh water. And he lays down under that tree and he rests. Twice we read that happens. Two times. And I think it went on even more than that. All the way to the cave. I think God just made provision all the way. God says your journey is great. You can't get there because you're so weak. You're going to need some food. You're going to need some rest. And you know what? You do too. You do too, friend. The journey God's got you on requires that you get rest and that you get some good food in your body. You want to bless somebody? Find somebody who's worn out and take them out for a good meal. You want to find somebody that's worn out? Find a condo, a nice one, oceanfront. Buy it for a couple of nights and send that person that you know is going through. Make it available to them so they can go and get some rest. Let them go out and get a great meal too. Rest. I had a friend of mine, a young pastor friend of mine, who went to our uh, pastor Sabbath in the vineyard. We have a 10-day retreat that we offer for free to senior pastors. Uh, we do it twice a year. We go to a retreat center somewhere. And at, for 10 days, there are uh, Christian counselors there, psychologists. There's a prayer team there. There's retired pastors there to pray with pastors and, and their spouses in order to see them renewed. And so all you got to do is get there and we take care of it. The vineyard takes care of it. And this young friend of mine was planting a church. And it was, it was really kicking his butt. I mean, he was having a hard time. He was worn out. He'd worked really hard. So he went to the pastor's Sabbath and he was in the circle that night. And he said, an older pastor across the room looked at him and said, I got a word from God for you. And my friend said, really? He goes, yeah. The most holy thing you can do right now is take a nap. <laughs> you know, naps can be sacred. Rest. Rest. God provides food, drink, rest. And you know what else he provides? When he gets to that cave, there's going to be total silence. No people, no interruptions, no cell phone, no texting, no games, no Netflix. Rest. Rest. Now when he makes it to that cave, a great wind comes by. The scripture says in the 19th chapter there, 11th verse, it says that God was not in the wind. Then an earthquake came. Power says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then fire came. It says God wasn't in the fire. 
Elijah knew fire. He'd just seen it. Fire came from heaven and gobbled up the sacrifice to prove to the Baal prophets who was God. But you know what? When you're worn out and you're tired and you're grieving, you don't need more stimulation. You need some relaxation. See, God knows us all too well. He knows how we're made. He knows how we're designed. Can't keep going and keep pressing. We're not limitless. Even a man like Elijah, he needed rest. He needed quiet. I love the definition of this silence in the cave. It's it's this, a sound of sheer silence. That's where God's voice was for Elijah. Another definition called it an echo after the storm. Hearing God's voice in the silence. Rest. God knows we need rest. Honesty. Need honesty. We need rest. And then after the rest, after he's been fed, after he's been alone and quiet with God for some time, God begins to talk to him. 1 Kings 19 and 9 through 14. God asked him, he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He asked him twice. Elijah gives him the same answer twice. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't try to analyze his response. God lets him respond in honesty, the way he feels. That's when he says, I'm the only one left. (laughs) Nobody knows what I'm going through, God. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one really true, but that's the way he felt. And that is, after the honesty, after the rest, there's a time of evaluation. Evaluation, that's your third feeling, and that is that what are we going to do? You know, God could have said, why are you here? There's a difference in what and why. Why is much more formal. It's authoritative. It kind of demands like you give a reason for why you've done what you've done. Why kind of looks to the past. It's like give an account, right? Why did you do that? Don't you love that when you're really down and out? Somebody to come along and go, why'd you do that? God doesn't even do that with Elijah. He goes, what are you doing here? In other words, what speaks to the future? What says it's not over yet? You still, there's still a plan for your life. There's still more for you to do. What are you doing here, Elijah? What? It presupposes there's something else coming. It's hope. It's hope. And it comes to Elijah in that moment. There's an evaluation. And then... God says this word to him in 15 and 18, 19 there. Go. He says, go. Okay, you've had rest. You've had 40 days. You've gotten out there. You've rested. You've uh, had a quiet time. I've met, met you right where you were, Elijah. Now it's time. He says, go back the way you came. You know, the word go is actually a popular word in this story. I think it's used 14 times in these uh In these scriptures, like these three chapters, go. And then he also tells him, he says, like, you're not the only one, basically. And and he wasn't the only one. 
The assistant to Ahab was a godly guy named Obadiah. And Obadiah had hidden a hundred prophets in two caves. Fifty in each cave and taken care of them. And then God tells him there are 7,000 prophets. I don't think the number there is exact. I think that's a biblical number meaning a bunch. And it's basically like seven being the all-inclusive number. It's a thousand times I've got enough, Elijah. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Elijah, you're not alone. Alone. I've got a thousand times enough more prophets that are right there with you. And are going to be walking with you. And when we feel alone, it's a great, wonderful source of healing and comfort to us to know we're not alone as well. That there's a thousand times enough. God is with you. And then lastly, look what God does for Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 15 through 18. He says, when you get there, that again is the what, presupposes he's going to do it. There's another step for Elijah. God's not done with Elijah yet. When you get there, he says, anoint. He names three people. He names three people that God is sending to Elijah. Elijah felt like he's been on his own, on his own, on his own. He's worn out physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And he goes, I want you to go back. Your journey's not done, but you're not going to do it alone. Here's three people, including your successor I'm sending to you. Right here. I want you to go back. Lay hands on them, anoint them, and they're going to help you now. So he gets help. Do you see what God does? Help is your last fill in there. Is that is he doesn't leave you alone to walk through this by yourself, but he has help. I know that we are an independent people, we Americans. But you know what? God has always had a people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. He was always working to move a people, his people forward. In the New Testament, it's his church. God is always moving a people. We are not alone. We are not to be alone. We're not to do life alone. It's not healthy to be alone. And God is always moving us as a people together. Because that is where health is. That is where emotional health is, spiritual health. And in every way, God makes provision for us. But we are not limitless, folks. And this morning, before we leave, I want to pray and I want to ask, if you're at that place, like you're kind of where Elijah is. And I have to tell you, I've been there before. I, I do. I know what it's like to sit there and go, okay, Lord. I'm done. <laughs> done. Woo. You know, like. Okay, life's been great. We've seen some awesome stuff. But right now, suck Bill. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I don't know how much more. And, uh, but you know what God does? God's presence comes to comfort just like he did with Elijah. God sends people along to your side to listen, to be there with you. God has not abandoned you. Nor has he rejected you or said you have nothing else to do in this life. You do. There's a next step for all of us. Father, right now I pray your presence in this room. I pray for those, Lord, who may have found themselves in a place of being tired in every way. Physically, mentally, emotionally, Lord. Spiritually. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? 
Come with your great love, your great affection, with your patience, Lord. Overwhelm us, God, in this moment with your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.